What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jared Magazine, just your neighborly normal guy with a lazy eye. We're here chatting with much cooler people with much better stories than myself. Today is no exception to that rule. I couldn't let you guys down here on episode 40. I can't believe that we're approaching one year of this podcast. It's an incredible ride. The individuals that have come on this show, shared their stories, shared the titles of their autobiographies and why, my favorite question to ask. I never would have thought we would be here today. It's so great to be able to connect with so many listeners like yourself um, and just sharing this experience with you all. I've had an incredible time and I hope you all have as well. If you're new, if you've been listening to all 40 episodes, thank you guys so much from the bottom of my heart. So back to today's guest, we have Blaine Holcomb coming on today's show. He is a country music artist out in Nashville, Tennessee, originally from upstate New York. He's got a brand new single coming out this Friday called Over a Beer. He actually sent me his unreleased EP before we did the interview. And all I can say is come October 1st when this thing drops, you guys better be ready. My buddy Blaine has got some great new music coming for you guys. It was a treat to be able to connect with him and hear his story of Kind of just your down-home, upstate New York country guy turned into really this hard worker, you know, grinded out type of individual making it out there in Nashville, Tennessee. If you've been listening to this podcast uh, since its you know since its beginning, you know the intensity that Nashville, Tennessee brings when it comes specifically, I think, to country music, but obviously to singing and songwriting overall. So. Great interview with Blaine. I'm super excited to introduce this guy. So without further ado, here is the one and only Blaine Holcomb. This is the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast, a true eye-opening experience. All right, well, coming to the show this week is Blaine Holcomb. Blaine is a country music singer and songwriter originally from upstate New York, now down in Nashville, Tennessee. With his sophomore record set to release this fall over a beer, I figured let's get a chance to meet Blaine, right? And hear his story, hear about the preparation for this release. Blaine, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's, a, it's an honor to have you on the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Jared. Absolutely. So we always like to start at the beginning on, on this show, right? Everybody's story has a beginning, so it would be fitting to start there. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but not a lot of country guys come from upstate New York. So what was life like growing up in the Holcomb household and where did you really find your country inspiration? Yeah. So, uh, um, so I guess I would say like to answer that in kind of two parts, one, I think you're right. And you like, maybe not a lot of like, like definitely like not a lot of big name or well-known name country artists come out of upstate New York. Right. But, but upstate New York is very rural and very country, uh, more so than a lot of people might, might know that aren't from the area, aren't from the Northeast mm. or whatever. So I actually grew up um, around country music my whole life. I grew up listening to the radio. It was always country radio. And uh, I grew up in a, a family that hunted a lot. I was into the outdoors hunting and fishing and stuff with my, my dad and my uncles, my grandfathers and stuff. <clears throat> um, so I was always kind of surrounded by country music and I always loved it. Um, but the interesting thing for me is that um, not really, there wasn't really anybody in my family that was that musical or played instruments. And for some reason, I just wanted to learn how to play guitar for whatever reason. And so I finally started taking lessons when I was in fifth grade, I was 11, I think. And that's kind of when it all started. 
Yeah, you 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 got on the train way before I want. Like, I feel like every kid wanted to play guitar. Like, I still want to play guitar. Like, I really want to <laughs> learn how. But I'm just like, I know this is gonna be like the laziest sounding thing I've ever said. But like, I just can't find the time. And like, I wish I did because like yeah, yeah. playing guitar is something. It's it's so cool. And like, if you're if you're coming to college with a guitar, you're the cool kid on the quad. That, that's a, that's actually a that's actually exactly how it worked out for me when I went to college. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, it was it was easier for me to make friends because I could play guitar. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So, like you said, you picked up playing music at the age of eleven, and even when you were in college, you toured around New York State. Was there like when you're starting this progress and like really starting to think like music is something that I could do full time at that point was like Nashville, the only answer or was it like, maybe I could do this in upstate New York. Maybe I can be um, a country music guy from, from upstate. Yeah. So I never, uh, so I didn't consider music um, as an actual career until I, until I got into college is that when that kind of happened. So what mm-hmm. happened was, is that music was always just a hobby for me. I started playing guitar when I was 11 or so. And I took lessons uh, from a, a guy who was a senior in high school at, at the time. And then he graduated, went on to college. And then I started taking lessons from a guy named Ed Vollmer, who was my, my longtime guitar teacher. And uh, he's a guy who's, who's been around my hometown for, for a long time. And he's taught tons and tons of people over the years. And so him and I became very good friends and he was the first person to kind of get me out in front of a live audience and get me kind of comfortable with performing in front of people and get over the whole stage fright thing. And, but anyways, all through high school, middle school, high school, it was just a hobby. Like I was very into sports. I played soccer. I played hockey. Uh, I played lacrosse for a while. I played golf. Um, so sports was always the forefront. Um, but music was always there and I always, I cared a lot about it and I always took lessons to get better. And, and I had a little high school band and we, you know, played in some different music like talent show competition, things like that. But I never, ever considered it like a career until I got to college. And I went to college at St. Lawrence University, which is in Northern New York state. uh, It's about three hours North of where I grew up. And uh, basically uh, got to college, started playing some gigs around campus, um, started to kind of get known as the the guy with a guitar, like you said, you know, And, uh, and after I think my so I think my sophomore year is when I I played I entered into this country music uh, like talent contest and it was put on by the uh, the local radio station in Central New York in Utica New York uh, Big Frog 104 and so I anyways long story short I I advanced through the the first rounds or whatever like that I got to like the final round and I performed I I think I actually won it at that level the regional level and then it went on the states from there but anyways. Because I did this, when I performed at that regional level, the uh, the house band for the night was a band called the Fulton Chain Gang. And they were a band that had a 20-year history. They're a country cover band, and they had a 20-year history in the central New York area. And as luck would have it, uh, their lead singer was getting ready to step down and retire. And so they were actually looking for a new lead singer, and uh, they saw me perform. They ended up contacting me uh, a few days later. We started talking and uh, I went and I auditioned for the band and they liked me and they offered me the job. And so I ended up becoming the front man for this band that was actually a you know, fairly well known. I mean, they'd been around for 20 years. I was actually only 20 years old at the time. Um, and, and these guys were a little older than me, like in their you know, 40s or 50s. And, and, uh, and so I started playing shows with them and it got like really busy. So obviously I was still in college, but like I was playing from like spring through the fall 
and summertime would get real busy. And right. I got some really good exposure and experience playing with these guys. They taught me a lot and I got to open up for some national acts and playing from some bigger audiences. And like my first kind of real experience fronting a, a band of that caliber and being the lead singer and the entertainer kind of thing. And I, over the course of the next couple of years playing with them, it just kind of turned into this thing where I was like, man, maybe this is what I want to do, you know? And, and uh, my friends kind of started to say, Hey, you should, you know, when you graduate, why don't you just move to Nashville, give it a shot. And so it just kind of became this thing when I just, I was convinced at that point, like, this is what I want to do. And, and uh, so I played three full years with that band with the Fulton chain gang. And then I graduated in 2014, moved home for the summer, saved up some cash, played with the Fulton chain gang that year. And then uh, early 2015, February of 2015, I packed up and, and moved 15 hours south to Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, it's, it seems like, I mean, I know you said like, you know, it, it, you know, long story, but honestly, it also happens that it, it, so fast, right? Like one thing led to another and here you were getting a communications degree at St. Lawrence, yeah. right? Like you said your friends, I mean, yeah, right. Every friend's like, yeah, just do it, dude. Just go out to Nashville. Just go yeah. ahead and do it, right? But like, what what was your parents' reaction? They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah, they, they've, all, they've always been very supportive. Um, definitely. They've always, they've always supported it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, nobody really knew at first, right? Like whether I was going to come down here and love it and want to stay or whether I was going to hate it and want to go home or whatever, you know, and yeah. I kind of went into it thinking, oh, I'll give it a couple of years and we'll see what happens. But I mean, I quickly learned, well, I fell in love with it right away, but I quickly learned that it's going to take longer than that if you're, you know, trying to make it in this business. And, and uh, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where if you, if you want, if this is what you want to do, then you'll, you'll do it. You'll find a way to do it. You'll find a way to make it work. You know, you, you kind of have to go into it with that mindset. You can't really go into it with a, a timeline of what, you know, of like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to make it by this point or else if I don't, then I'm going to go do something else, you know? Right, right. So uh, that's where I, I've been at. I've been here for six years now and I'm, I'm as determined as ever to, to, uh, to do this. Yeah. So kind of going off that, like six years in Nashville. And I think like for the novice, maybe the person that would go to Nashville to just listen to the music, right? Like performing in Nashville seems a bit different than your typical like open mic night, right? Like you have to go, go through a process of like auditioning for these like hot spots down on Broadway. Like what was that kind of process like for you just trying to get your name out there and really like create some space between you and the rest of the Nashville artists that want to get that spot on Broadway. Right. Yeah. So, um, what I did for me, um, I didn't really know anybody here. When I first moved to, down here, I was, I got to stay at a, a family friend's farm. And so they, <clears throat> I had some, a connection with some, some folks that, uh, that were friends of my parents and back home. And so I, I got, so I had like some, a couple people that I knew, but they weren't really in the music industry at all. So I didn't really know anybody in music. Um, they were able to introduce me to a couple people that they had become friends with in the music industry. But as far as like playing gigs downtown, um, <clears throat> I just emailed uh, the the guy at Tootsie's and I was like, oh, I'll start there, you know, whatever. And I, I sent out some emails to some of these different clubs and, and uh, I got word back that every Saturday afternoon, Tootsie's did a, an audition where you could jump up on stage with the house band and sing a few songs. And if they liked you, they'd hire you or whatever. Yeah. So <clears throat> I just showed up the first week in town. I showed up at Tootsie's not really knowing what to expect Saturday afternoon, jumped up, sang a few songs with the house band. They seemed to like me. Uh, they called me back up later for do a couple more. And, and then they got my contact information. They called me up and, 
And another one of those deals where it was just a, a lucky timing or whatever. Um, but the, uh, the band that was, that I kind of jumped up and played with, they were in need of a, a lead singer and uh, they needed somebody. <laughs> Tell me if you've heard this story and, before. <laughs> uh, it just, it just, it just worked out, you know, and they, they offered me, they, they asked me what my experience was, you know, playing with a band. And I told them what I'd been doing in New York and, and uh, they were like, and the only thing that took some getting used to for me was I was used to kind of fronting a band and all that, but I never had to, to work for tips. I never had to hustle a tip jar before. Um, I'd always just been paid, you know, a certain amount by the, by the bar. And that was just, that was it. You show up to your show and you get your money and you go home. And yeah. so that, that was a new, that was a learning curve for me. I had to learn how to, how to hustle and how to, you know, try to get people to tip and, you know, cause when you're the front man, you're not just trying to make money for yourself, but you're kind of responsible for making money for everybody in the band. Cause you're the yeah. one talking to the audience. Yeah. So um, I was gonna say, I feel like it's a little bit different than uh, getting tips as a, as a waiter or a waitress. Like what, what kind of, what kind of tips and tricks did you have for, for uh, hustling the tip jar there? Well, I had to, I had to kind of just uh, be a sponge and, and sort of watch everybody around me and watch everybody down there. There's, there's some people down there that have been doing it a long time and are really good at it. So I just tried to, you know, beg, borrow and steal a couple tricks from everybody that I saw. But right. I think overall, just to summarize it, I think the people that are the best at it down there are the people that can make the audience feel like they're a part of this show. They're a part of this experience. You know, most of them are tourists. They're not from here. They they come to Nashville, they go to Tootsie's or they go to the stage or they go to Whiskey Row and they're like, oh, wow, we're here in Music City, you know, and like if you can make them feel like they're part of the show and they, they get this this experience of this being in music city then it's almost like you're not really like taking the 20 dollar bills or whatever out of their hand it's it just it feels more you know like they they they, they want to request songs and stuff there's there's just a way to kind of present it i think where it doesn't feel like you're just like straight up begging for money you know 100 percent. and i had I, to, have... I had to kind of i had to kind of figure that out oh i i, I totally get it like i I'll never forget. We were out in, uh, oh gosh, um, Isle of Palm, South Carolina. Like this is not Nashville, Tennessee, but similar sense. They have like a, a downtown where people have open mic nights. And, and we were at this one place called Mex One. I'll never forget it. And this, this woman was just killing it on the songs. Like she just like read, the, like knew how to read the room, knew what songs to play. And like my girlfriend and I actually like went up and just started dancing in this like opener you know, like kind of open area to, to dance it. And like, it, like it got the whole room going. Like, I don't know if like we helped her out with the tips, yeah. but it was, it was yeah, fun yeah. for us. Cause like getting to do that was super fun. And like, oh, take me back to, to 2019. Right. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So I read that in an article though, you have, you have a couple of tips for artists looking to perform on Broadway. It was really to know a lot of material because when someone has a request, you don't want to be that guy. That's like, Oh, how does that one go again? <laughs> like what have you have any like crazy stories about maybe someone giving you a request and being like, ah, uh, I don't um, really like yeah, that one. I, mean, or I don't know that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I get requests all the time, you know, that, and sometimes I don't know the songs, you know I mean? Like I, I do, I think I know quite a bit. I do know, I do have a pretty good repertoire of, uh, you know, of songs and, and I can, if I, if I need to, I can kind of look one up on my phone and kind of refresh, you know, see the lyrics again or whatever, and kind of figure it out. But uh, I mean, yeah, you definitely need to know a lot of material. If you're going to, you're going to do the Broadway thing and you're going to kind of try to, you know, take the request. I mean, that's how you kind of make your money off, off of requests and stuff. So um, you definitely kind of need to know a lot. Um, and, uh, and I, I knew a lot when I got here, but I learned a lot more after getting here and, it's one of those things where um, 
Um, yeah, I mean, like I like I said, I get requests all the time that I don't necessarily know, but sometimes I can kind of fake my way through it. Sometimes right. I have to be like, hey, I, I really don't like, or I'll be like, hey, I don't know that song by that artist, but I know this, 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 and this by that artist. So maybe pick one, you know. <laughs> kind of thing, Your favorite. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. So kind of going back to growing up in, in a country music loving household, maybe not a country music um, like talented household. Maybe not everyone was the best country music singer. Who were some of like the inspirations that you had as artists growing up that you really have modeled your music after? Um, well, when I, uh, um, so I guess when I really got into uh, guitar, I, that's when I started to realize um, how, how great of a guitar player Brad Paisley was. Mm -hmm. um so i got really into brad paisley and i'm still i'm still a big brad paisley fan um but i was a a huge huge brad paisley fan throughout you know my middle school days and high school and all that um but uh but then i also got into and i've always been uh that kind of that whole era like i've always been a big kenny chesney fan i like tim mcgraw um but i I'm, i'm a really big 90s country fan um even to this day like you know uh, Alan Jackson, George Strait, Garth Brooks, you know, Clint Black, Travis Tritt, those, those nineties guys, you know, Mark Chesnut. Um, right. um, but, uh, what happened was, is that after I started to kind of get into, to guitar playing and country music, I started to, to, uh, get, you know, my, between was my guitar teacher and then some was, uh, my grandfather, well, my grandfather was a big, uh, traditional country music fan, but like some people like that. And then as well as just my own interest, I started to get into like, more traditional country music and I started to really kind of dig into all right like what are the like yeah I love Brad Paisley and all these newer guys but what are the roots of you know real traditional country music and so I got really into like Hank Williams Sr. and George Jones and Merle Haggard you know and uh, you know all these like classic country artists and so that's that's really what I love I love the old classic guys like I tell everybody that my Mount Rushmore of uh, of country music is uh is in no particular order, really, but George Jones, Merle Haggard, Keith Whitley, and Daryl Singletary. And they're just four of my favorite singers, favorite artists. And uh, so that's really the, the music that I love. I love traditional country music and I love 90s country. But mm-hmm. for me, what I'm trying to do now with my artistry and my music is I'm trying to write and uh, and record stuff that sounds like you're still kind of paying tribute to, the, to you know, that classic country music. But it's it's not traditional country. It doesn't sound dated. It has a very modern, fresh production to it. It sounds like it was recorded in 2021. You know, it's, <laughs> it's got so it's got. I, I would compare it maybe a little bit to like uh, like you know uh, maybe like Eric Church or Riley Green or you know maybe some Luke Combs a little bit, um, John Party. That it's it's that kind of stuff. You know, some people call it neo traditional country, but it's it's country, but it's it definitely sounds modern and commercial and radio friendly. Um, but it has that whole element of 90s country and all that. Yeah. And like listening to some of your songs and, and, and kind of going off of that 90s inspiration of country, like what is it like? I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of like going against the grain of the the maybe like more like top of mind country pop type of music and trying to get those types of fans that say like, hey, like remember those good old 90s of, you know, Alan yeah. Jackson, right? The old, the older, I don't wanna call them old, right? I, we were born in the 1990s. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. like, that's yeah. not call us too old here. But like trying to get everyone back on that, that train too. And even for younger country music fans that maybe didn't listen to the 90s country. Right, yeah. Well, I, I struggled with it for a while because um, 
just the way that kind of country radio seemed to be going after I moved here and was already kind of going that way. It was just seemed to get more and more pop, which yeah. no, nothing wrong with that, you know, no. to his own, but that's just not me. <clears throat> you know, so I was like, all right, where do I fit into this? Because this, this is not me. This is not what I do. Um, but I've actually been like really kind of optimistic lately in the last couple of years. Cause I feel like it's, it's coming back around a little bit. You know, if you look at like some of the success with like, like John party, his stuff is very country. He's almost like a modern George Strait, you know, right. Like, he's got a lot of steel guitar and fiddle in his songs. And, you know, for a while you didn't hear any steel guitar or hardly any fiddle in, in songs, you know, and it was just more country pop stuff and you're hearing it start to come back more. And, and the, the songwriting, I feel like is lyrically, the songs are coming, coming around again to more of like a, a deeper like well-written like lyric instead of just kind of a party song you know and like i said there's nothing wrong with the party songs and the, the pop country stuff but yeah that just kind of wasn't really my vein i'm like so I'm, I'm a huge eric church fan and that's that's kind of my my vein is that more like singer songwriter storyteller kind of thing and so i feel like country music like mainstream country music is starting to come back around to that again so i'm optimistic that you know there's a, there's a spot for me to kind of slide in the mix there with, with what I'm doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And kind of going off that, right? Like a, a music career has a lot of high highs and a lot of low lows, right? Like maybe even like you could say the entire 2020 was a low period. Right. But like when you're in those lows of those, or those funks of like, you know, is this really what I want to be doing? You know, it doesn't seem to be working. Like, how do you get, how do you personally get out of those types of funks and get back on, you know, get back on the horse for lack of a better term? Yeah. Um, well, um, yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest thing for me is like, I try not to get too complacent, right? Like you try not to find myself in the situation where I'm, I'm kind of stuck doing the same thing over and over that I'm not, I'm not really happy with it, you know, whatever. Um, um, but you know, this last year was really tough because with all the bars shut down, I mean, that's my main income playing down on lower Broadway. That's what I do for a living. You know, I don't right. have another job. I, I play, gigs down there with my band or, or you know lately I've been doing a lot of solo acoustic stuff but um so that was tough I had to kind of shift gears and I got I got pretty into the whole you know, Facebook live stream stuff and uh that was weird at first but I got more comfortable with it and that turned out to be a really cool thing because I got the opportunity to do a lot of different charity things um for that and raise some money for some you know some people that needed help and you know organizations that needed help and also I was getting uh few opportunities where I was, I was hired by different companies and they would, they'd be like, Hey, will you go on our, our Facebook page and uh, do a, a show and we'll, yeah. you know, for our clients or whatever, and we'll pay you. And so I found some opportunities and then I could also kind of go on my own and just do a show. And sometimes I put my Venmo up there and people could just kind of, you know, I'd be on, on Facebook live and people could comment with a song request and then just throw me five bucks and Venmo or whatever, you know, like, so I found Working a way a tip to jar, get right? <laughs> yeah, it was a virtual tip jar. Yeah. And I, I was able to to do that and and, a, and able to, to get through this this COVID stuff uh, for the most part. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I guess I'm trying to circle back to what your initial question was. I think I kind of answered it. <laughs> Absolutely, no, 100. And like, I think you brought up a really good point. Of, I mean, you know, when the live music scene kind of shut down, artists had to adapt. And yeah, sure, it was 100 awkward in those first few months. But I feel like the awkwardness really came from the consumer and like more of like, how do we, how do we interact with them? How do we like, in, I don't want to say like, how do we enjoy this? It's like, listen to the music, but like, how do we interact? How do we in, kind of engulf ourselves with this type of live stream? But as the months and months and months of COVID went on, I think 
more and more people were open to it. And I think you guys absolutely crushed it in terms of getting yourselves out there, artists all around, right? Like getting yourselves out there in a way that you haven't been able, you know, we've never done in the past, right? Like we had Dylan Brady on months ago and he would literally go on, go on live every single day. Really? Every single day during COVID, his manager was like, go on live every single day. And like, yeah, there was a point where he's like, I can't do it every day. But just yeah. interacting with, the, even if it was 10, 15, 25, 35 people, it was still, it was still a show, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It is what it is at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, everybody had to, to, to adjust to that, like you said, you know. Exactly. And kind of, we'll, we'll get a little bit positive here. When you're riding those highs of, of a music career, like, what do you try to do to keep riding that wave? And like, things are just clicking. The music is good. The, the gigs are yeah. getting good. Like, what do you do personally to be like, let's keep this train rolling? Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I guess, especially, I guess I would, I would answer that more in terms of like songwriting too, because mm. I feel like if you're, if you feel like you're kind of in a groove or you got some inspiration, try to write as much as possible during that time. You know, like I don't write, I'm, I, I've never really written every single day. Uh, probably I probably should some people do um but uh I I I'm like probably a lot of people were like you kind of want when you really feel like you've got something to write about you got some inspiration you got an idea you think is worth writing then I can really dig into it you know I've got um one of my one of my good buddies in Nashville that I write with all the time his name is Jay Burgess and him and I he he's a co-writer on like most of the songs on my EP with me like three or four Mm -hmm. um and uh, so for songwriting, it's like if you get that kind of momentum going, just keep cranking out songs, you know. And with gigs, it's the same way. I mean, if you're if you've got a good band and you're you're clicking with everybody and just keep, you know, keep keep it going and keep playing as much as you can. The more you play, even if you're just doing the Broadway stuff, the more you play, the more you're honing your craft, you know. Right. You just kind of stay positive and keep working hard and, and ride the wave, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I it's got to be hard to write songs every single day. Like, yeah, you go through a lot of emotions in a day, no matter what the day is. Like, but I mean, can every everything you're thinking about? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, song, I, it's gotta I, be I'm not, I'm not one that can really do that. I mean, yeah, I think at that point you have to just treat it like an exercise, where yeah. you don't really have all these great ideas. You're just trying to write anything just to kind of get your brain, you know. Like, any, any, a good example is Chris Stapleton. You know, Chris Stapleton, um, he did that. Actually, he did a lot more than that. What he, what he did, was for, for what I've heard, the stories I've heard is that he wanted to just master songwriting and just kind of dive right into it. And uh, early on in his career, the story I was told, he wrote three songs a day, every day for a year. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's a thousand songs or more right. in, in, in a year. And uh, um, I mean, look at him now. I mean, yeah. uh, imagine the catalog that the guys got that songs that'll never see the light of day, you know, that, know. uh, that you know and he's i think some of the songs he's cut on recent albums they're not even new songs that he wrote he wrote them like 10 15 20 years ago or something right you know? right uh, so there's there's different ways to approach it there's an, i have a really good friend songwriter who's been kind of my main mentor here in nashville his name is mark allen springer and he's had a lot of success especially through the 90s he he wrote a song that was kenny chesney's first number one uh, when i close my eyes he wrote like four or five different kenny chesney songs a couple alabama songs and mark chesnut um you know tanya tucker he's had a lot of success as a songwriter and he was not that right every day kind of guy his his uh strategy or mentality was different you know he would he would only turn in you know a fraction of the songs probably a year that chris stapleton would turn in his publishing right company. but but mark is a really really amazing writer and like in like lyricist and song crafter where like 
if, if Mark turned in 20 songs, you can bet that all 20 are really solid, like really good, really well written, like as you know, and, and instead of just turning in a hundred songs that could be average or something, you know. Yeah. We're gonna take a quick break from this interview to hear from our new sponsors over at IPS Serve and Water Sports. This new partnership I'm so stoked about. IPS Serve is an exclusive water sport complex located right on Long Lake in the beautiful lake region of Maine. They offer personalized instruction for a variety of different water sports, including wake surfing, water skiing, and many more. Originally from Westford, Massachusetts, founder and world champion wake surfer Ian Scott found his love and passion for water sports at a very early age. He's dedicated to sharing his years of action sport wisdom with his clients and unlocking that true potential in people that they didn't even realize they had. Guys, entering a new element, especially the water, for many people can be an intimidating journey. So IPS Surf is here to provide a safe and specialized instruction to ensure their customers leave with a smile on their face and that feeling of accomplishment. With professional and qualified instructors, best-in-class towboats, and equipment IPS Surf is more than ready to host you and your crew out on the lake this summer. It's just two and a half hours north of Boston. And to show our appreciation to our listeners, IPS Surf will be offering two very, very sick packages. We're going to have the normal guy package and we're going to have the lazy eye package. So let me tell you about these. All right. So the normal guy package, you're going to get 20% off a two hour individual session. So you can bring yourself and one of your friends with an IPS surf uh, instructor. This is more for the people that are really have an appetite to learn. The normal guy package gives you the best opportunity to focus and improve your skills out on the water. This two hour session will allow you for that ultimate one-on-one time with a professional instructor centralized on your development. Now, the lazy eye package. This is gonna be your squad package. This is gonna give you 20% off a full day. That's six hours out on the lake with your squad. You could bring eight, nine, 10 of your closest friends. It's a perfect way to get the whole crew out there enjoying the magic of what IPS Surf has to offer. The lazy eye session will include everything you need for an exceptional day out on the lake with over seven different water sports to choose from. Guys, seven different water sports. You're gonna be able to mix and match with your favorite activities for the perfect session you have been dreaming about. We have all been dreaming about what next summer is gonna look like. This is an excellent idea for any family or friends outings, birthdays, it's just the perfect day out on the lake. And if you haven't seen any footage of like what IPS Surf has to offer, let me try and paint this picture. So one of the sports that they offer is called wake surfing, which is one of the coolest things that I've ever seen down on the lake. It's an endless wave created by the boat, and it basically allows you to surf this like clean and customizable wave with nothing directly attaching you to the boat. So they offer this like, it's just this like, you're you're surfing, like I'm a SoCal kid, you're out there surfing, but you're out on the lake. They also have your favorites, including like water skiing and wakeboarding. They also offer more of those like technical sports for more of our advanced folks looking to step up their adventure game here, which is like barefoot skiing. You've seen those videos on on Instagram, wake kiting and surface latest phenomenon, hydrofoiling. So don't just take my word for it. Go visit IPS Surf and Water Sports up in Brigton, Maine, just two and a half hours from Boston to see for yourselves what the hype is all about. Go follow them on Instagram at IPS Surf and go over to IPSSurf.com to book those sessions. Now back to the interview. And let's, I have a question about like songs that get shelved, right? Like obviously with like record deals and, and labels, like 
it's more of like what they decide or you know maybe like what they decide to put on the album and like what what would be best but like for an independent artist like and you're saying like like chris stapleton is a beautiful example thousands of songs he's probably written and like the songs that are out i mean no question they're beautiful songs they're incredible songs but what is that process like in figuring out like is this the song we want on this album you know, is this the time for this song? Like, what is the process like for you maybe when when deciding to put a song on an EP or an album versus let's save it, We've, we'll wait till that one comes out? Yeah, well, for me, it would be a little different than like uh, somebody's big as like Stapleton or something. Right. Like, with Stapleton and guys like that, you know, that have major label uh, deals, uh, they, you know, I, I would imagine that it's not just Chris that gets to pick, but obviously it largely would be Chris, I would think, especially in his position because he's... Mm-hmm that that well-known and that big of an artist i'm yeah. sure he has some flexibility in what he <laughs> do. but but you know there's going to be other people have a say in it i'm sure you know his producer and, and you know the record label people are going to want to have a say you know the executives will want to have a say in what songs make this record and what songs don't and why or whatever for me it's a little different because i'm still independent i don't have i don't have any i've not signed a publishing deal yet not signed a record deal yet so for me, it's basically up to me. I mean, I not, but I like to take other people's, you know, opinions. So I have people that I really trust that, you know, songwriter friends of mine, music industry friends of mine. And so I'll, I'll basically put a, you know, everything together that I've written in the last, you know, months or year, whatever it's been, and just kind of, you know, whittle it down to the, to the six that I want to cut or whatever. And with this yes. project, um, it was actually pretty easy for me, I think, because, I felt like I had a good, strong, like solid, like handful of songs that, uh, you know, I've been writing a lot with my buddy Jabe and I felt like we had some good content and really good songs. And then, uh, and I ended up, so I'm actually a a co-writer on five out of the six of these new ones, which I'm I'm really proud of. So there's one song, it's a song called Then There's You. Um, And that one was written by uh, Tommy Carlos and Liz Henberg and um, Matt Nolan, I believe. Um, So I'm friends with Tommy and Tommy um, pitched me the song and I, I loved it. So I decided to add that one on to um, my, my EP. So that's the only one out of all six that I'm not a writer on. So I'm, I'm pretty excited that, you know, five out of my five, five of the songs are my songs that made the cut. Absolutely. And like kind of going off that and some of the friends and the, and the co like co-writers that you've worked with, with so much talent in Nashville, what has, what is it like working with all of this talent and, at times you find it to be competitive or is it like everyone's working for this same goal? So let's all work together. I feel like at times though, it has to be a little bit competitive. Yeah. There's a little bit of both, but it's definitely competitive. I mean, business is pretty, uh, pretty cutthroat. It's, uh, you know, it's, it just is, you know, and it's, it's really tough. I think to get a song cut as a, as a songwriter, if you're trying to get, you know, I think a lot of people that are writers now, are trying to write with an artist, you know, like if, if, if two or three songwriters are going to book a co-write and write a song, they want to bring an artist in on it because if an artist writes the song with them, then their song's got a better chance of getting recorded by that artist. Right. <laughs> that kind of thing. So there's different, different things like that, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's competitive town. I mean, it's, everybody's competing to, to get their songs cut. Everybody's competing to get their songs heard. Everybody's competing to get on the radio or, you know, Spotify streams or Apple music. It's just, you know, there's a lot of noise and everybody's doing the same thing. And, but there's also that, you know, like you said, there's every, you know, you get, you get your, you find your group, you find your friend group and you're like your camp of people that you guys all work well together and you become a team. And like, you guys are all trying to help each other, you know, like, you know, you know, there's a couple songs that I cut on this project that 
Jabe and I wrote together that I talked to him about. It. I was like, Hey man, like, are you cool if I cut this song, you know, cause we wrote it together and you know, he's an artist as well. So it might be something that he wanted to cut for himself. And, right. and he was really generous and, and was like, yeah, man, just take it, you know, you, you, you cut it, you know, make it a hit, you know, kind of thing. And, and likewise, you know, he's cutting a couple of songs right now that him and I wrote together. And one in particular, it's one of my favorite songs I've ever, ever been a part of writing. And it's like, we can help each other out like that. You know, like it, it doesn't matter which one of us records the song. If the song does really well, it's good for both of us, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So, so let's talk about this new release coming up this fall over a beer. You sent over some of the, uh, some of the songs. I got a chance to listen to it. What were the inspirations behind this EP? And like, what was it like building this kind of together with the team and, and putting this all together for, uh, for the release out here in October? Yeah. So I guess like the, the main inspiration for me was trying to trying to write songs and find kind of find my my niche if you will um where where i can i can like we said earlier i can take that 90s country element that i'm that i love and i'm such a fan of but put a modern spin on it and make it sound like a modern production 2021 contemporary country commercial right. sounding radio kind of you know and so that's kind of what I was, that was my goal all along. I was like, how do I do this where I, I keep it country, but it still sounds modern and fresh. You know, I, I love 90s country, but I don't want to write and record a project that sounds like it was recorded in 1992, you know, <laughs> um, not that, that I love that stuff, but like, that's just, you know, that's, that's, that's not where it's at right now. So, right. so that was kind of the inspiration or like the, the thought, but then it was just kind of getting together and writing songs. Like I said, I wrote a lot with, with my buddy, Jabe. Um, him and I, uh, wrote, um, over a beer, the title track, we wrote that together. Uh, we wrote, I drink, she drives together. Uh, we wrote, uh, beer tastes better together. Um, and then, um, I guess, the, I guess those are the three that he's right around with me. And then, uh, so there's a song called new neon that I wrote with, uh, with Tommy Carlos, Cassie Lynn and Dan Wilson. Um, and, uh, and then there's the song that, that Tommy let me record that was one of his that, that he wrote with and that I, I was not a writer on. And then the other song is uh, one of my favorites that <clears throat> I wrote this song about my grandfather. Um, it's called Keep Your Line in the Water. And my grandfather uh, taught me how to fish, taught me how to bass fish. And he passed away when I was a freshman in high school. And so that was actually one of the first songs that I wrote when I first moved down here to Nashville. I wrote it about five years ago. And I wrote that one actually with one of my college buddies. Um, but uh, it wasn't like your traditional co-write where we both sat down in a room together and wrote the song. It was more of like, we had the idea, he didn't live here, you know, and we like talked about it over the phone. And then I started working on some stuff, sent it to him. He added in some lyrics and more, you know, we kind of went back and forth and ended up with a song. So, but him and I wrote that together and it's one of my, one of my favorites. Yeah. And so like going off that, like for that song in particular, right. Uh, line in the water right why why now for this song right like why is now the time for this song to come out you know the it happened you know your grandfather passed your freshman year of high school it took some time to put these pen you know put the pen to paper but why is now the time to release a song like this yeah it's actually that's a great question because i actually already recorded it and, and released it on my last project but it was just a solo acoustic track it was just I played the acoustic guitar and I sang and that's all it was. There was no arrangement other than that. Um, and, and with my last project, um, I, you know, I had, I had a lot of fun recording that stuff, but I didn't, I just kind of recorded it and uh, I put it out there to the world and I didn't promote it at all. I didn't really have, you know, have any finances to promote it. I wasn't working with the arts development company uh, that I'm working with now, AGD Entertainment. So 
that was just kind of it never really went anywhere the the the, the songs and the project never really got any traction or took off because it was never really pushed right. um where now you know moving forward with this one i have all these i think i have all these elements in place where i'm working with agd entertainment and i'm I'm working with some, you know, media marketing people that can help me really push this stuff, um, which I'm excited about. But then I, I came back to keep the line in the water. And I was like, you know what? I think I've never, I've never recorded this with a full band, an arrangement with, with, with a full band. And I think that would be really fun to do. And even though the song was written five years ago and it's been a while since my grandpa passed, still the songs really never had a chance and never really seen the light of day because it's never, never been pushed and promoted, you know, the way it needs to be to, to kind of have a chance to get out there. So that was almost a no brainer for me. It was like, I, I'm really excited to record this song with a full band, see the song come to life. And that's one of the really cool things about recording in Nashville. If you uh, like the way that I I've been doing my stuff, I, I hire all like session studio players and they're like top notch. I mean, these are like the Nashville cats. These guys are so right. good. And uh, it's just really fun for me to go into the studio with a song that I wrote and it's just bare bones. It's just literally, it'll be like an iPhone recording, like a voice memo of like me, you know, like singing and playing guitar. And, right. and those guys, those guys have the chart of like the, you know, the chord changes and all that. And they listen to it one time and they go in there and just listening to them, bring your song to life and create that. It's really cool. It's really, I, and and yeah. hearing, hearing keep your line in the water come to life like that after writing it five years ago and then hearing it come to life with all the strings and, and all the acoustic instruments and the mandolin and the pedal steel guitar. And it was just like, wow, like this is, this is a special song, you know? Right. And it's, and it's a special song for you, right? Cause it's, it's such a personal song and it, and it like having kind of bring it back to life has got to be something that's super important. So, um, you know, it's, it's exciting not only for you, but I think it's exciting for the listeners too, to really see this song that has meant so much to you, even though it's quote unquote, an older song just because it was written long ago, but it's right. still, you know, kind of going back to the, it's not a song that was, uh, you know, recorded in the nineties, but it's more of that remastered version. Yeah. All that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Sure. And so uh, having listened to the songs on the EP, you got quite the arsenal of like, you know, the, the softer, you know, maybe more of that string guitar, not as much like heavy drums and, and more of that electric, but you also go back to like, you know, over a beer is more that rock and roll, yeah. that, you know, we'll say like country music anthem. Do you have like a favorite style of, of performing those? Is it more, do you like the more like ballads or love songs versus the, like the rock and roll kind of country anthems? Um, well, I, I always love songs that, that tell a story, right? Like I said, I'm a huge fan of Eric Church and I love his songwriting and storytelling. So I, I love, the stripped down acoustic kind of stuff where you're just it's all about the lyric because that's yeah. what country music is really that's 100%. true country music it's about the lyric you know and everything else should complement the lyric and that's the driving force of the song so um, that's for me that's what it's all about but um i love the the up-tempo rock and stuff too and i think it's important to have that because i love to perform live and i love to play with my band and if you're playing a live show at a packed bar or anywhere an arena or whatever right. you gotta have those tempo songs those driving songs to get the crowd going you know you can't just put them to sleep with one ballad <laughs> or another you know right so uh so you know i in, in i think it's important you know coming out with new music like this and the new ep like you have to have a balance right you can't have too many ballads on there no you gotta have a balance so i was really happy that we were able to write songs like over a beer and i drink she drives that are these up tempo kind of rock and country songs that uh that hopefully will get people you know 
you know, dancing along to them kind of thing. And I feel like come, you know, come this fall, people hopefully will be dancing in bars again. Let's, let's hope. Yeah, so. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so, man. <laughs> so, all right. In, in Over a Beer, in the song, yeah. you literally talk about getting grounded for a year <laughs> over a beer. Did this, did this really happen? Um, no, actually not, not really. Um, it might, it might've happened for Jade. It might, it might've been a true story for him. It's, it's one of those things where like, not every single lyric that you write in a song is necessarily like, you know, happened to you, but you're just kind of drawing inspiration from that idea. And, you know, everybody's got those stories, like the first time they were drinking and stuff like that, you know? So it was, it was one of those deals where that, that was actually my idea. So that, that yeah. song that, that I just had the title over a beer. And I, I didn't, I didn't know, you know what I was going to do with it, but you know, I got together with, with my buddy Jabe. And, and so we sat, we sat down and figured out oh, this is a good enough title to, to, to work on. So, um, yeah, we got, we got going on it. We just kind of came up with the, the storyline of hey, some, some high school kids that are sneaking some beers out back and the cops chase them and, you know, and grounded <laughs> for a year over a beer. And what I love about it is, uh, and, and I think Jabe's really good at this style of writing too, where uh, we wrote the first chorus, like the first verse, first chorus where it's got that funny aspect to it, right? Like yeah. the first time you hear it and you hear like grounded for a year over a beer and you kind of chuckle, you kind of laugh, right? Oh, it took but me then, back to high school immediately. <laughs> yeah. But then, but then, then you get into the second verse and it gets a little more serious and it's talking about kind of your first love or whatever. And, and, you know, this girl that you probably a high school sweetheart and you broke up or whatever, but then you kind of, found each other down the road and get back together. And then, and then the punchline going into the, the second and the second chorus is back in love after all these years over a beer. Mm. Um, and so I think that's cool how the first course is kind of that funny, like, Oh, you're grounded, you know, you got, and then the second one's more of that heartfelt, like, Oh, you know, like, like these two got back together kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And uh, I don't think I was ever grounded for a year over a beer, but definitely <laughs> those high school days, I was, uh, yeah, it was not my best. It was not my best show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I never was grounded for a year either, but year rhymed with beer. So it made it the song. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Well, we have um, some music rapid fire that we've, we've done with a bunch of the guests that we've had on the show. Now, like I always say rapid fire, but if you if it takes you a second to think of these answers by all means this is a podcast and you're meant to think like and uh there might be some follow-ups to it so it's not going to all come right at once so we'll start with the first one though and this is always a good one do you do you remember the first song you ever sang yep well actually so i I remember the first song that i ever memorized all the lyrics to okay so we'll we'll call that good enough um so the first song i ever memorized all the lyrics to was dina carter's strawberry one and that, that was that song, I think, was a hit on the radio in 1997, which would have made me about six years old. Yeah, I, that was the very first song I ever memorized all the lyrics to. And actually, the second song I ever memorized all the lyrics to was the Tim McGraw Faith Hill duet. It's your love. OK, that. those two songs were the first two I ever memorized all the lyrics to. I love it. I love it. My my first one. And I'm not saying I'm an artist, but my dad had two CDs in the car. Uh, one was Billy Joel's greatest hits and one was Earth, Wind and Fire's greatest hits. Yeah. And then he would, you know, he'd sprinkle in the, like the sixties and seventies rock radio station every once in a while. But like, if we were driving, like, cause I grew up in Orange County, if we were driving down to like Disneyland or Legoland, yeah. it was one of those CDs. And the song that I memorized the lyrics to was Stranger by Billy Joel. And right. this was like in like, I want to say like second grade, like, or even like, like early, I was, yeah, I yeah. was young. Right. But yeah, you're about the age where you can start to memorize lyrics. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, my twin brother and I, 
we signed up for our elementary school talent show and we wanted to lip sync stranger but they weren't gonna let us do it together for some reason either that or like we didn't want to and i remember having this massive fight with my brother over this song <laughs> I, was like, I spent so much time trying to memorize the lyrics yeah. i'm like you're in second grade like relax <laughs> that's funny that too and then like when i heard bohemian rhapsody for the first time oh, yeah. my dad turned around in the car and was like if you can memorize these lyrics like i'll be impressed next day yeah. had it down <laughs> that's cool it was great so all right do you have uh, a dream musician you would want to collaborate with Ooh, um yeah i mean it's um i guess it's, it's tough to pick one right um <laughs> No wrong answer here, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's no wrong answer. Um, I guess uh, I guess it would be really cool to collaborate with Brad Paisley just because he was such a influential, you know, part of my, you know, early like early learning how to play guitar in middle school and high school. I was so yeah, it'd be really fun to to collaborate with Paisley on something. Um, yeah, and then you know, I've always thought um, if I if I name him, then I can name a, if I named a female as well. I always, uh, I always was a really big fan of Sarah Evans and her voice. Yeah. Uh, I always thought it'd be really fun to sing a duet with Sarah Evans because she, I just love her. She's got a very like almost traditional country sounding voice. I know she was heavily influenced by like, Patsy Cline and some of those uh, female singers from back in you know, the 60s and 70s. So um, yeah, I'm a big Sarah Evans fan too. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right. This is a, this is a fan favorite here because the answers can be kind of a wide range here. Can you describe your first performance in one word? Oh, wow. Um, Nerve wracking, I guess. <laughs> I was, uh, I was 12 or 13. Like I said, my guitar teacher was good about getting me out and making me play in front of people at a young age, got me over that stage. Right. I really don't get nervous anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm sure like if it was the right venue, I would, I would still get nervous. You know, like if I was going to debut at the Grand Ole Opry, I would, ha I would be nervous or if it was right. playing in front of 50,000 people. But for the most part, all the shows I play, I'm, I'm not nervous at all. Um, and I, that's due in large part, I think, to the fact that he got me out in front of an audience when I was 12 or 13. And so I kind of got over that stage fright, you know, and, and got used to it. You know? I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure everyone, everyone's... I would have been nerve wracking would have to probably be the, 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 the word. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's got a good, like either awkward or like one said like chipmunk. Cause they felt that their voice was too. Oh, hot. mine was mine. My voice definitely had that sound to it back then for sure. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So going off of the playing in front of 50,000 people though, do you have a dream venue that you would want to perform at? Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I mean, a big one would be like, um, the Grand Ole Opry house, but there's also, you know, the Ryman auditorium, which was the original Grand Ole Opry house. I mm. definitely would love to play the Ryman someday, uh, play the Opry. Um, and then if I was going to pick an outdoor venue, maybe, um, I mean, Red Rocks in Colorado would probably be amazing. Gotta be it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then the other, the other one that would be similar to that, but probably not, you know, not, not, not as awesome as Red Rocks. But uh, since I grew up in upstate New York, um, there's a SPAC, the Saratoga Springs Performing Arts Center in, uh, in Saratoga Springs, just above Albany, New York. And mm. that's a real, I've been, I've seen a bunch of shows. There. I've seen Brad Paisley there more times than I can count probably. 
And uh, I just love the layout of that. The amphitheater, it's like the, the land naturally bowls down and the amphitheater's down there. It sounds really cool there. So SPAC would be a cool place to play. Red Rocks, obviously, that's probably everybody's. Um, but uh, yeah, and then the Ryman Auditorium and the Grand Ole Opry. That's- yeah, Ryman, Ryman's a fan favorite. They, like everyone that we've had on the show, that's like that's like the number one out there. Uh, the Red Rocks is historic. Is- yeah, it's the Ryman's just such a historic. I mean, it's the mother church of country music. You know, it's, right. where it all, it's where it all started. And they don't they still do the Opry there in the winter time for a couple months. I think mainly out of tradition, but also I think it I think it probably gives them a chance to get in the Opry House and maybe do some renovations kind of thing. You know, right. Uh, but because they, I think it was 1974 when they built the new Opry House, which is about 15 minutes outside of downtown Nashville. But the Ryman is right there, you know, just off Broadway and Fifth Avenue, right there by, you know, by Tootsie's Orchid Lounge and all these bars. And back in the day, you know, when Tootsie's was really the only bar down there, um, I mean, guys like Hank Williams Sr. and, you know, these guys playing the, the, the Opry back then was the Ryman and they would play the Opry and they'd walk across the alley and go into Tootsie's and have a beer, you know, and it's like, it's just the, the history. I, I'm a huge fan of the, the country music history and the legends and stuff. And, and so, yeah, the Ryman to me would be a very special place. hundred percent. Yeah. When I, when I come out to Nashville and visit everyone out there, I, I'll, I'll, we got, I got to hit up a show over there for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so if you weren't living in Nashville though, where would you be living right now? Boy, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, there's a chance I might still be living in upstate New York. Um, I don't really know what I'd be doing if I was there, but right. um, I love, I love the, uh, the, the Northern New York, the Adirondack mountains. I love the mountains up there. I, I'm a big deer hunter and, and uh, outdoors enthusiast kind of a guy. So uh, I'm big into that kind of stuff. I love to hunt up in the mountains. And um, so, yeah, I mean, New York state's a beautiful state. I don't, I don't really see myself permanently living there. Um, so yeah, I really don't, honestly, man, I don't know. And I kind of, I kind of like the fact that I, I don't really have a plan B, you know, it's like, what's your plan B if music doesn't work out? I was like, I don't know. I got a college degree. So I guess maybe that, <laughs> I don't you know. I mean, I, like, I don't have a plan B, like it's just music for me. So I, I really don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for this. I love it. No, I, I, you know what? Sometimes if plan A is working pretty well, you don't have to <laughs> ask for plan B just so, yet. So, right? so far, so good. That's knock on wood. So far, yeah. so good. Plan, exactly. plan <laughs> so, all right. If we were to look back a year from today, like, so a year from now, what would be the big goal for Blaine Holcomb in the next year? Um, yeah. So I get, think moving forward, um, my biggest goal is to continue to grow this, grow my fan base, grow my brand, grow my fan base, and just, just really try to get my music out there and just, and just get help build my, my loyal, like army of true loyal fans, like Mm -hmm. the real people that are diehard fans that really love me and love my music and will buy a ticket to a show or buy merchandise, buy a beer koozie, buy, you know, buy a t-shirt, buy a hat. Um, and stream my music and download my music and share it, that kind of thing. You know, I feel like I've got a really solid batch of songs right now that I really believe in. And I feel like I could probably take these songs to, to any label in town and show this stuff and, and kind of pitch myself or whatever. And I think that I believe that the songs are, are good enough quality to kind of hold their own. But I think where I'm kind of lacking right now still is I don't really have the huge social media numbers and all that that seems like today's kind of all about social media and so I think if there's one thing I need to focus on with this project and, and the next ones moving forward over the next year like you said is grow that fan base grow your loyal base of of, of uh, diehard fans and, and just continue to through touring and through 
you know, promoting the music and all that, just build that, build that loyal army. I love it. And that's what we're here to help do, right? That's why we're putting out this podcast. Absolutely, man. I, I love it. I love it. All right. So we have one final question that we ask all of our guests and uh, you're not getting away with this one, but if you were to write your autobiography today, what would be the title of it and why? Oh, wow. Phew. <clears throat> What would be the title of it? Oh man, I have no idea. <laughs> what would be the title of it and why? Hmm. Um, I would probably have something to do with with deer hunting and country music. I, I don't I don't even know what I would call it. I love it though. Well, like, I mean, it's you, right? It's the story of you. I always think like when yeah. I ask this question, people get hung up on like, I think they, it goes to like, oh my God, do I have to write an autobiography? Like how long would that take? <laughs> you know I mean? like, just like, what, like, you know, like what's the title of you? What's the story of you? And that's why we do this podcast. Yeah. I love connecting with people like this. And I think like, even if it is like deer, deer hunting and fishing and, and country music, like yeah, I mean, those, those are my passions, right? Like, I mean, it, it Basically, it's uh, and, and some people might think it's funny, but I really, you know, it's not like one's more than the other. Almost, it's like it's music is what I'm trying to make my career, right? Right. But deer hunting means just as much to me. Like, actually, I, this this is how I kind of explain it to some people. I'll say, like, in terms of like you know, growing up in hunting family and what hunting means to me, um, it's such a big passion of mine. It's not really an option of whether I do it or not. I have to do it. It makes me feel alive and whole and and I've got all my reasons that we don't need to dive into. But basically, I say, hey, you know, you could if you told me that I could be the next Garth Brooks, but I could never hunt again, I wouldn't do it. That's how much hunting means to me. There you go. I think we've got we've got we've got an autobiography on. on <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the title. Maybe maybe there's a title in there somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Well. Blaine, thank you so much for coming on, man. We're super, I'm super excited about the release. And I wish you absolutely all the best. And like I said, we talked about this before the show. I got to get out to Nashville to hang out with everybody once this is all over. Oh, yeah, definitely. Let, let me know when you're coming down. Yeah, and I appreciate you taking the time to have me on here. And yeah, like I said, we kind of touched on the, the whole EP throughout there, but the title track is Over a Beer, and we're releasing the title track on May 14th. Um, and then it'll be basically every six weeks after that, we're going to be coming out with a new single and then the full EP will, will drop on, uh, uh, October 1st. There we go. There you go. And you can find it on Apple music, Spotify, everywhere, right? Everywhere, wherever you find your music online, whatever platform you use, Amazon, Apple music, iTunes, Spotify, Google play, YouTube, you'll find it. It'll be on Love there. It. Love it, man. All right, Blaine, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. So a big thank you to Blaine Holcomb for coming on this week's show, sharing his journey, sharing the roller coaster it has been with his career and the excitement that there is behind this brand new EP coming out in October. But the brand new uh, title track of this EP, Over a Beer, again, drops this Friday. So be sure to go check it out when the, that new Music Friday hits Spotify. Um, that does it for this week's show. I'll leave all things Blaine in the description of this week's podcast. Again, like I said at the top of the episode, I cannot thank you guys enough for the support of this show. It has been overwhelming, to say the least. And I know the numbers aren't anything spectacular if you're if you're talking about podcasts. I'm not the next, uh, you know, Joe Rogan, but. I'm, I'm just as surprised as I was on day one. We just hit over 500 followers on our Instagram page. We've been streamed by over 40 countries. We're 
eclipsing that 10,000 stream mark. It's been an incredible ride and I credit it all to the listeners. So again, thank you guys so much. If you enjoyed these episodes, if you've enjoyed the past 40, uh, please feel free to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on your podcast streaming platform. I promise that'll do it for the shameless plugs this week. I will see you all next Wednesday.